Okay, welcome into episode six of Exhibit A, EH, the Oatly Vigman podcast. Um, we've got an excellent podcast episode here today. Uh, we have Leanne Brown in the studio, and we covered a lot of ground. Um, Leanne was extremely generous with her time and candid with us. Um, and Leanne is someone who, you know, has been at Oatly Vigman for um, the better part of a decade. She is someone that uh, I always have lots to learn from, and you know she shared um, quite a bit uh, with us about how she manages her time and um, what it's like to manage her practice uh, with her growing family. So um, without any further ado, Charles, take it away. Okay, so today we're joined by a very special guest. Leanne Brown, and the reason why I'm sort of hesitating there was because I knew her to be Leanne Shepley, and we'll, we'll get to that in a second, but Leanne Brown is a, an associate lawyer with uh, Jim Vigman's team, and um, I have so much respect for her because she was um, one of uh, my unofficial mentors, and she summered here, article here, and is now uh, in her seventh year of uh, call, so we want to first welcome you to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me, guys. Thanks for coming here. on, Leanne. Thank you. So tell us that little that story, though. Because um, you were hyphenated for a, that's, for a second, that's right. right? It's one of those challenges for for females in, in the professional field mm-hmm. uh, to know what to do with your name when you get married. Um, when I was first married, which was back in 2014, I decided to keep my maiden name. Mm-hmm. And it became such a nightmare having two names. I, I was Leanne Brown in my personal life, Leanne Shepley in my professional life. Right. Credit cards were, you know, under one name while my uh, identification was under the other. Right. Uh, it was so tricky. And so finally, once I had children, I decided, okay, you know, I guess I'm putting my feminist ideals aside here and mm-hmm. just going to take the the family name. Right. Uh, and so that's what I did. So uh, yeah, a little unconventional because I changed my name five years after being married. But right. but I but I did it. Are I took gl- the plunge. Are you glad that you did? I am. You know, it's it just makes life more simple. And you know, I have two kids coming up uh, behind me. Who mm-hmm. knows if they'll come into the profession one day? And mm-hmm. it's it's just good to kind of have a family name for yeah. for everyone. For sure. And I mean, like you already are, you have such brand name recognition with just your first name anyways, that, you know, changing your last name from Shepley to Brown, I don't, I mean, I feel like people in our circles would still know who you are, whereas, you know, someone who's lesser known might not, you know what I mean? Like they might have more second thoughts about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, as a litigator, especially name recognition is so incredibly important. It right. becomes your brand. Absolutely. Um, so ideally I, I, I should have changed my name. Sooner. Five years ago, yeah. sooner. Mm. Uh, but it's just that dilly-dallying, uh, not really knowing what to do. And and having, it could be, uh, you know, limited female mentors. Right. Um, I mean, Oatly Vigman has been absolutely great um, with mentoring me right. and, um, you know, supporting my career. Yeah. But we don't have any female partners. We don't right. have any of those uh, females in more senior roles. Right. So not having that female kind of guidance, I was... Yeah. Kind of doing it all on my own. I was just going to say, you're the trailblazer (laughs) at the firm, I think. Well, we do have uh, great female associates at our firm. The best. Uh, So so it's great. Like Laura, Erin, Karen, Karen, Mm -hmm. and now Morella, who's just been hired. Um, She's a a second year call, I believe. Uh, Such great female uh, lawyers. Mm -hmm. But for the longest time, when I was at the firm, I was... 
the only female. Right. Um, so and yeah. It, so what was that like? So okay, let's talk about two things. One, you talked about mentorship, and I guess let's get into it later in terms of your role as a mentor to other female lawyers. Let's push that till later. What was it like when you joined the firm and you were the only female lawyer, associate, articling student, summer student? Mm-hmm. Well, when I first started as a summer student, and this is quite bizarre to, to the associates now, there were no associates on JLV's side. Um, they did have a couple. They ended up leaving. And so when I was a summer student, I was working directly for Jim, Brian, and Adam. Mm-hmm. There was no of that middleman right. uh, associate. Uh, so you had to get over your, I guess... Um, fear or, in, or in, intimidation. That is a, that is a steep yeah. learning curve right there. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, Adam Little, great lawyer, very intimidating <laughs> as a, as a new lawyer coming in. Right. So, uh, you had to get over that pretty quick. Um, but I, I learned by fire. They threw me in, mm-hmm. um, did a lot of stuff and you, you kind of learn by doing. And there's I, like, there's I, a, a sort of a local legend or myth that's, that's floating around all evening. I mean, I think the second week you were thrown into like a trial or something like that. Oh, no, no, no. I wasn't thrown into a, into a trial. There was a trial going. And so I, I was helping with the trial prep. But no, oh, I, wow. as a summer student, I wasn't uh, <laughs> examining not witnesses. not the way that Olivia does things. <laughs> oh, you're fire. a summer student here. Trial you might as well fire. just jump on this $2 million trial. <laughs> <laughs> would have been great experience, yeah, but yeah. Uh, I probably would not have yeah. done <laughs> the firm well. So, okay. Um, you must have had um, experiences that probably were different than, you know, friends of yours from law school. I know we both went to University of Windsor for law school. Mm-hmm. And so keeping in touch with friends of yours from law school um, who maybe did have female partners who were ahead of them and who could mentor them at that time. Uh, and your experience at a firm where it was all men at the time, you were still supported, obviously, because you wouldn't still be here if that if that weren't the case. But how did your experience differ? Uh, that's a good question. I, I mean, I think I had such great mentors at the firm. I, you know, great mentors to young female lawyers don't necessarily have to be female. Right. They just mm. have to be invested in, in female, uh, you know, lawyer career development, right. which I believe I had just so much of, um, Jim Vigman and Brian Cameron especially have, have really taken me under their wing, um, shown me the ropes and, and shown me the trust to, you know, take that next step. Like, as you mentioned, you know, I'm coming into my seventh year of call. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's so you, it's such a transitional period to your career, uh, for the first, you know, five years of practice, uh, you can sometimes fall into, it's actually a term within female litigators called the dutiful daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, where you want to do everything uh, and everything that you're asked, you do, right? Mm-hmm. So any any task, no, none so small, none so big, like you're, you're just going to do it. Yeah. Um, and that's the role that you play. But eventually you get to a point in your career where you have to kind of step out of that role and, and you're becoming more of a senior member of the firm right. and taking on more responsibility. Right. And uh, so, I mean, the lack of female mentorship I, I don't feel like it has affected me too much. I mm. mean, it's it'd be great to see a female partner, of mm-hmm. course. Uh, but the we male, might be looking at one. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. But the male, but the male partners uh, uh, at the firm have been incredibly supportive. Right. That's wonderful to hear, and I'm not mm-hmm. surprised by it at all. I just I did want to ask that question. So now you in in this stage that you're transitioning to as a mentor to the articling students and our summer students who now. Since I've joined the firm, we've had more women than men by a long shot. For sure. Um, 
how do you find that role and what do you kind of take to that and bring to the table? It's so bizarre uh, to feel like you're the the old girl mentor. Um, like I feel like I just graduated from law school and I have students coming to my office saying, oh, Leanne, uh, thank you so much for your mentorship. And um, I see you as such a role model. And it just feels so incredibly bizarre to hear right. those things. I yeah. feel like uh, like I'm 100 years old. Um, <laughs> But no, it's been great. It's it's been amazing to to give my perspective to junior lawyers because, uh, you know, I think the biggest barrier to to embarking on a career in law is right. is age, mm. more so than even gender. A young lawyer, thirty years below, it's it's just a rite of passage that you have to go through. Right. Um, and it's tough. Absolutely. You yeah. know, it's it's tough. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, on a different episode, we talked about like dealing with difficult. Um, opposing counsel at discoveries or motions or mediations or whatever. And yeah, it's for sure tough. Definitely. I mean, there's going to be an element of bullying. I think, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, law is just uh, intensely hierarchical. Like it's just, that's just the nature of the, of the beast. So it's, it it is something that you have to go through. You can't just age yourself overnight, but you don't have to take it lying down. And so I try to mentor um, the young students with that and uh, just be confident, fake Mm -hmm. it till you make it. Right. (laughs) You can even wear like fake glasses like Charles does. That's right. Give (laughs) give yourself some confidence. Mine are real. I do need these. But, But you know, um, it's, it's pretty uh, crazy. Uh, I remember one of my colleagues telling me that they were in motions court um, and she's not very big in stature, um, but, you know, she did a great job advocating for her position. And on the way out, some senior male uh, lawyer uh, made some passing comment like, you know, you know, this little thing, you, you did great up there, some kind of, you know, very off base mm-hmm. remark. And when I heard that, and it wasn't very long ago, I was kind of, you know, shocked that that still happens. And obviously, I haven't experienced that in my um, uh, practice so far, fortunately. But I, again, I was just com- completely floored. Um, and I don't think it's that uncommon because I have heard similar stories, uh, the grapevine, of yeah. st- things like that happening. Yeah, those subtle remarks, um, they are there. I struggle to... Um, to understand whether whether it's gender based yeah. or whether it's age based, exactly. I think it might be a mix of the two. Mm. You know, I think that young male lawyers are also experiencing that type of behavior from from older counsel. Oh, for sure. Uh, but you know, female lawyers do. There's a whole other element that that might be at play as well. Yeah. Um, you know, I I remember one of the first motions, post motions, I I argued. Um, I won. Uh, <laughs> That's not a big deal. And. Um, <laughs> Uh, it was against a, a more senior defense lawyer. Mm-hmm. Names will not be <laughs> mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there was a very similar. You know who you are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was a very similar remark afterwards mm. where it was, you know, congratulatory, but uh, but putting you down at the same time. Right. Like, oh, wow, you know, uh, poor guy getting beaten by this, you know, yeah. young yeah. girl. And, right. Um, you know, kind of giving you the compliment that you've won, but also being shocked and surprised Absolutely. that you could actually do a competent job. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that there is an element of that uh, occurring in the profession. But like mm-hmm. I said, it's a rite of passage. You can't mm-hmm. you can't fly by it. It's just going to happen. Right. They're not going to change. Mm-hmm. It's just your reaction to it that right. uh, that's going to dictate how your behavior is in the future. Right. And uh, so, just don't take it lying down. Just yeah. just mm-hmm. know that you're competent. You do a good job. Is all of this in the past now? Like in the last little while. You know, have you experienced this or, or is this, are you still in it? Like as now you're in your seventh year call or close to it? 
you definitely still get it. I, I don't get it at the same frequency. Mm. And, uh, and you're obviously way better at dealing with it too. Right. I mean, I think your air, like when you walk into a room, I think they can kind of, you know, feed off of that. Like yeah. they know, okay, this person's a first year lawyer who doesn't really know what to give as an mm-hmm. undertaking and what to take right. as a refusal right. uh, versus someone who actually knows what they're doing. So as soon as they get a whiff of competence, mm-hmm. I think that that back ele- off. Yeah. will back off. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, you still do get it. Yeah. You still do get it. Yeah. Women in motions court, what should they be wearing? What should they be dressing like? Is there any do's, don'ts, recommendations, like makeup? Right. Yes, or even no. just in the profession generally. Or just, yeah, yeah. generally. Okay, sure. Uh, I mean, yeah, <laughs> the topic of female business attire, it's its a landmine. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, For guys, I mean, it's a suit and a dress shirt. It's Yeah, it's almost Pretty, too easy, but yeah. let's, let's hear Leanne's that, comments. That's exactly it. You guys have yeah. a, you have a uniform, right? right you yeah. know, like... Yeah. Dark suit, crisp button-down shirt. There you yeah. go. You know, unoffensive tie. Right. There you go. That's you're, exactly you're good to what go. we were talking yeah. about. Yeah. Um, there's so ma- many more nuances with with female mm. attire uh, that comes into play. There's no set rules right. about female attire. And when there's no set rules, I think you become a little more open to judgment. Right. Um, but, you know, I think that there are some standard rules Uh to do. You know, I, I do like a suit. I know there's a lot of female lawyers who say that they don't need a suit. Mm. I think that it's it's necessary. You need mm. a suit for client meetings, for, well, motions court, a lot of the times you're robed. Right. Uh, but uh, if, Yeah, not as an articling student. Oh, as an articling yeah. student. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, but yeah. that's fine. You can just jump in. Let's just talk business attire generally. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you, for motions court or for anywhere, interviews, especially, right. you know, when in doubt. First client meetings. Right, yeah, exactly. PNCs, yeah. yeah. When in doubt, go conservative. Mm. Go conservative. Wear the suit. Um, it, it used to be a skirt suit was considered more formal, but right. I think a pantsuit is very acceptable now. Right. Um, and I like blouses. Mm-hmm. Silk blouses are great. I buy I buy so many silk blouses. I think I have like 12 to 20 silk blouses of different colors. Am I, <laughs> it's just a very um, safe bet for Patterns, for no patterns or... I don't like patterns, yeah. but I mean, to each their own. I think that you have to wear what you're comfortable with, right? right? You can't fake, you can't pretend to be someone that you're not. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to go in, the most important thing is going into work and feeling competent right. and feeling confident in what you're doing. So wear whatever that makes you feel that way. Right. Uh, but uh, but just know that there, you know, there can be judgment about certain type of elements for females. That is challenging. It is. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> There's a lot to think about. Yeah. They they say with a skirt or a dress, you know, if if you're kneeling, it should touch the floor. Right, like certain um, lengths, showing too much skin, for example. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, I know it, it's unfair that that is still an element that's there, mm-hmm. but you're expected to look professional, um, and appearance does matter right. in this field. So mm-hmm. you have to um, you have to take it into account uh, and play the part. You know, right. I always tell myself my role to my client is more important than my my role to feminism or gender. So mm. I wear what I think is going to be perceived That's good advice. Um, best by court or opposing counsel. Right. Or, That's a good, yeah. You're yeah. not going to try to make a statement with your clothing at the risk of jeopardizing your client's case. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. that's fair. Well, Leanne, you uh, are someone who has definitely found, you know, sort of where that middle ground is in terms of 
looking professional and good, but still um, dressing in a way that makes you feel confident and you always look really well put together, whether it's in court or a mediation or just a day in the office. So um, our hats off to you. Yeah. Kudos. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I have the appearance of looking like I have it together because <laughs> um, I uh, certainly don't feel like it some mornings, you know, running out of the door, getting the kids to school, yeah. barely having time to eat toast before you get into the office and uh, start your day. So thank you. Yeah, <laughs> we would never know. Yeah, yeah. thanks. <laughs> and that's it's a great segue because uh, one of the things we definitely wanted to cover and, and talk to you about today was um, obviously you're uh, a relatively new mom of, of two um, at the time of this podcast. How old are, are your children now? Uh, Nora is three. Right. And Jack is 16 months. 16 months. Yeah. So I, so, I was crazy. I had them very close together. <laughs> well, and that's the other thing. There's a certain timing, I think, that comes with, you know, having a family and planning your uh, yeah family, but as well as your career. Right. So we, we'd love to pick your brain about that. But before we get into there, obviously, before you had kids, you probably had a lot more time on your hands, both for probably yourself and in terms of work. How has that changed and what have you done to sort of adapt it's it's funny uh, because y- you have way more to do and the same amount of hours to do it. Right. <laughs> uh, I feel like you become much more efficient. Mm. I think that's that's the only way that you can do it. You know, when you don't have someone to go home to, kids to go home to, to relieve a caregiver, um, you know, you can take those extra long lunches yeah. on a Friday. You can, you know, dilly dally check on CNN a bit in the morning yeah. with your coffee, um, which I still do a bit, but mm-hmm. I, I hunker down much more now. I, I get in, I get out, you mm-hmm. know, I, I, I get my work done. I focus on my billables because I have a deadline, right? right. I can't stay till 8 PM on right. certain days. I have to be home by five to relieve my caregiver. Right. Um, and just the way I do my work and the time that I do my work is a little more unconventional, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of going in and putting in your day and going home, sometimes it's broken up. Sometimes you go in, you put in some of your day, you go home, you get the kids fed, you get them bathed, you get them to bed, you put in a little bit more of your day from your home office. Right. Um, you know, uh, our IT department has been great with setting me up with a full home office. Wow. Uh, I have a second monitor and everything at home. So it, it's essentially the same as working right. uh, from the office. Yeah, I just got that. It's a game changer. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It changes everything mm-hmm. uh, because you can get work done when, when you know, you're not in the office, which right. is great. And technologically, it, technological advancements have, have definitely helped Made with that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And have you found that, um, obviously, well, in my experience, when you're st- sort of first starting out your practice, you're, you're motivated, you're ambitious, but then you run into potentially issues of burning out or getting tired or, you know, feeling like, how much longer am I going to have to sustain this pace? But have you found like new motivation at all being a, a new parent or have you, you know, priority changes, things like that? How, how have your perspective, uh, uh, has, has it changed at all? I guess. That's a, you're, you're <laughs> stumping me. <Charles. laughs> we can, we can uh, take a break, but no, no. Uh, you know, I think, uh, it's always a concern. It's a concern that's voiced to me a lot by young lawyers, yeah. especially young female lawyers, sure. uh, who are looking, they know that they want to be a lawyer. They know they want to get involved in law, but they also know that they one day want a family. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a big concern for them because there's this myth out there that, you know, you, if you're a good mother, you're not going to be a good lawyer. Or if you're mm. a good lawyer, you can't be a good mother. You can't do both. And um, it's certainly a myth. Mm. I mean, you can do both. And in fact, ever since having kids, I feel invigorated in my career. I feel uh, more motivated. Right. Uh, you know, being a parent is hard work. You're at Absolutely. home uh, 
it's it's harder to be at home with the kids than mm -hmm. it is to be at work sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, so having, I remember you saying that when you came back from mat leave after Jack, and you were like you almost relaxed like being back at the <laughs> office. You were like, oh, finally some peace and quiet. Right. Definitely. <laughs> I mean, I love my kids, of obviously, course. but you know, your work is. Once you become a lawyer, it's so much a part of your identity. Exactly. You know, it's not just a job anymore. Yeah. It, it's who you are. Yeah. And so going to work every morning, it's kind of like a breath of fresh air. It's like, okay, this is back to, to me. Like mm. getting back to Leanne, this is my time. Um, and I see my career as that uh, rather than, you know, a nine to five job that you're kind of clocking into. Right. So I, I feel like it's invigorated my love for the profession. Wow. Um, and also it gives you motivation because, you know, you, you have to look. When you become a parent... Um, you just have to accept that there's going to be trade-offs. Right. Uh, but you have to think about, uh, you know, what you're making those trade-offs for. Yes, mm -hmm. you're going to spend less time with your kids. Uh, but, you know, you're doing it for love of job. What are you doing it for? Job exactly. satisfaction, life satisfaction, right. uh, money. I right. mean, these are all things that are motivating factors that you have to think about when, right. you, when you leave home every day. Yeah. yeah. That, that's a very encouraging message, I think, to mm -hmm. younger lawyers. Yeah, you can have it all. Yeah. And, and one of the reasons that probably you feel that way is because you have a, a fantastic husband, uh, Dustin, who we're both very big fans of big, big <laughs> Dustin fans. And uh, he's got some great stories because his work is as a police officer in the York Regional Police Department, I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, his work is is obviously demanding as well in terms of the, you know, the level of involvement that you need to have and the time that it probably invests that he has invested in that job. So how do you guys juggle two busy, very demanding schedules mm -hmm. like that? Yeah. Well, he's a, he's a shift worker, right? So right. I mean, police officers work shifts. Right. So that's a whole other element. Um, but it's actually worked out very well for us uh, because when I'm at work, he's at home. And when mm. I'm home, he's often at work, working night shifts or working weekends. So it's worked out well. And then when there is conflicting, um, you know, times where both of us are working, my mother um, steps in and, and cares for the kids. Oh, and great. we also started Nora up at a little Montessori preschool. Mm -hmm. So we've been very lucky. We haven't, yeah. you know, a lot of people have have to put their kids into full-time right. daycare, which is a great option, yeah. great option. But, uh, you know, I, I know how lucky I am to have my mother so close by and yeah. helping and, and the work, um, schedules has just kind of worked out. Mm -hmm. That's huge. Funny anecdote, just being married to a police officer, uh, when I, for our wedding, yeah. um, when we were coming into our reception, our entrance song was law and order. <laughs> Oh my goodness, that's hilarious. That's fitting, eh? Yeah. I got I know, I, I I always say I married him despite the fact he was a cop, not because of oh it. Says I have blue fever. No, no, I don't. <laughs> Is that a term the police use? Yeah, okay. yeah. that's hilarious. <laughs> okay, Leanne, um, let's go back to the beginning. Um were you one of those people who knew they wanted to be a lawyer from, you know, the age of five? Or did you sort of figure that out in high school, university? How did you come to that decision? For a large uh, majority of my life, I've always been told I should be a lawyer. <laughs> by, by who? By who? <laughs> just people. Just <laughs> everywhere I went, people were like, you should you should think about going into law. I just always... Uh, just picking fights with yeah. random people on the street. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and winning. Yeah. And winning. I just enjoyed a good debate, I guess. Uh, uh, no, I was always told it. So it was always in the back of my mind, but I never really put too much serious thought into it until probably around my third year of university mm. when you kind of hit that point where you're like, okay, what am I going to do with this degree? And right. where am I going to go? I, I My undergrad degree was uh, psychology at University of Guelph. 
You went to Guelph too? Go yes. Griffins. We all went to Guelph? All three of us. Oh, oh baby. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> no wonder we're vibing. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So uh, anyway, so I, I decided just to write the LSAT and see how I did right. and did okay. So right. I decided to apply and and, and uh, the rest is history. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, and then how, how did you end up in personal injury litigation? Yeah. So again, weird. Uh, I, I kind of just fell into it, really. Uh, you know, when you're looking for a second year summer position, mm-hmm. um, it's very intense. I, I think your second year is your most stressful year of law school just because of the job search. Right. Um, and so you want to find somewhere. Um, and I was just applying everywhere. I was applying in every area of law possible. I did partake in the OCI process a bit, mm-hmm. uh, even though I knew I, I had no interest in corporate law, but you kind of get sucked up into that yeah. whole process. It's almost a pressure because all your colleagues yeah. are all, you know, getting, you know, stuck well, up you, about it. Like as a competitive person, you want to win. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you see everyone else getting involved. And you're like, okay, well, I guess this is something that I should do. When when really, you know, it's not the area of law right. that you are you have any interest in. Uh, so it's, it's wasted energy, really. But mm-hmm. um, no, I got an interview with Oatley Vigmund and I thought it was just a very firm, like a local berry firm, right. went and did my interview. I think because I thought that I was overly confident in my interview. <laughs> <laughs> who were who your interviewers? Uh, Brian, Brian Cameron and oh, Adam Little. Yeah. Course. And I, I was just so just overly strutted, strutted in there. <laughs> yeah. I had a strut on. I was just like, oh, this local firm, I'll yeah. just go and interview I'm here. Them with right. a smart <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, uh, when I left, I called my career counselor at, uh, Windsor Law, uh, Anna, and she, yeah, and she, uh, she said, oh, you interviewed at Oatley Vigman? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, oh my God, Leanne, that's one of the premier personal injury law firms in Ontario. You should, you know, you should be very excited about that. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, and I I got, uh, I got offered the position. So it was great. And yeah, summer student to articling student to Mm -hmm. associate. And if you aren't a lawyer, what would you be doing right now? Hmm. I can't even picture my life as not being a lawyer. <laughs> there you go. That's when you know you should be a lawyer. Yeah. 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 Um, probably journalism, I'd say. Mm, yeah. yeah. Good, good, good. I remember uh, my interview uh, for articling was with uh, Brian Cameron and uh, Ryan Murray, who was a partner at the time. And Ryan Murray was in like a full suit, I think a tie. Pam was there too. Um, but Brian was in like dark colored jeans like two buttons undone, just leaning back in his chair. And all of his questions were about like my undergrad courses that I took. Oh, you took uh, physics? So what was that all about? My daughter's taking it. And we just had like this chat for like 10 minutes. Nothing substantive, just so casual. He made me feel like comfortable and got me to sort of open up. And um, I think it was one of the best uh, interviews that I've had for sure. That's so yeah. funny. He must have been his tactic because he did the same for me. Oh, no. He went over my undergrad transcripts and was like, so I see here that you only got a 50% in a in a botany course. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, why did you do so poorly in that right. course? And right. I said, I, I don't like plants. I, I, like, I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> I like that. It's funny because Brian is now like I never see him in anything except for a three-piece suit and a tie. Like I don't know why he was wearing uh, jeans and a and an undone shirt. So I, for I your took interview. I took his course uh, at Queens, obviously personal injury advocacy, and he'd walk into every class with you know dark wash jeans and a and a blazer or, or a jacket. Is that right? Yeah, huh. yeah. 
And uh, I don't know, it impressed me. I think impressed all the students. <laughs> this really cool looking lawyer walking in, super casual, yeah. super confident. You all know he exudes a certain yeah, charisma. Sure. So, um, I'm sure I'm sure he dropped the fact that he used to be in a band too. <laughs> somehow, yeah, in there, somewhere in there for sure he did. Definitely. <laughs> so you would not be a botanist if, if you weren't a lawyer. Absolutely not. <laughs> It's the first D I ever received in my life. And yeah. I was like, well, as long as I passed. <laughs> no kidding. So after, you know, um, a super long day, either at work uh, and then you or at home, um, what are some strategies uh, that you use for yourself to sort of unwind or just, you know, relax? Because in our profession, it's easy to, you know, think about a case or a client all day, all night. I remember like for me, like last night, I was thinking about this case that we have coming up for mediation or pretrial in January. Like just thinking about it, you know, for two hours before I fell asleep. Like, what what are what are some things you you, you do to to help yourself? Yeah, it's it's difficult. Um, I think being a parent, it kind of does alleviate that a bit mm. because you do walk in the door and you have to be present for your kids. I mean, you're gone eight nine hours a day. Yeah, you know, you can't walk in and and still be kind of you know. Uh, ruminating about something that's happened at work. Right. Uh, you just have to put it to the side and focus on your kids. Mm. And so that's what I do, right? And so I spend time with my kids. I play with my kids. I uh, bathe them, get them to bed. Right. And so by the time you're done all of that, you're so exhausted. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> you're like, okay, I have to start the next day. I just need to sit. Right. And so I just sit and I, my husband always makes fun of me because I watch the most mindless television programs. Like what? Um, 90 Day Fiance. <laughs> <laughs> Never heard of that one. Me neither. No. no. Uh, botched. Have you heard of this one? No. no. What's that about? Botched plastic surgery oh. procedures. Oh my God. Um, no, it's, it's, That's a disaster. it's awesome. No, I just need something that I can just, just turn off. Turn yeah. off. I don't have to think. You know, I used to be a reader and I, law just destroys your love of reading. Oh, absolutely. Uh, because you, you read so much during the day. It's hard to get yourself to read uh, anything more than after you've read, you know, read hundreds of pages of documents on someone's medical history or medical reports. I, I kind of got away from that when I first, like I stopped reading at like during articling in my first couple of years as a lawyer, but I yep. have since gotten back to it because it just like, I find that when I get into bed and instead of watching Netflix or sports or whatever it is mm -hmm. for that extra 30 minutes before bed, I'll read now. And I find that my sleep is, is so much more improved because it kind of distracts your mental energy and yeah. I just my sleep has definitely improved since I started right. like, oh, training myself to get back into that okay so that's now that's how you turn off your brain um, now that you have two kids and, and it's obviously very demanding what did you do before for any younger lawyers who don't have kids yet or, or don't intend to have kids it's kind of hard because, you know, you, you look back to those those years and you're so intense mm. in those first few years. You know, yeah. you're starting up on your career. I think we all fell into that pitfall of making your job your everything. Mm -hmm. um, but I would I would try to work out. You know, I would uh, spend time with my husband. I would take trips. Right. I would book it. I, I, I'm a huge advocate, especially with the younger associates at the firm and the students of protecting your time yeah. and protecting, you know, your work to life balance book that time in your calendar. No mm -hmm. one's going to tell you to go. Oh, for sure. You know, you have to just do it. All right, Leanne. So earlier you were telling us that um, you're so much more efficient now because you have to be. What are some tips that you've picked up along the way for being more um, on top of your time? Like in terms of being economical, do you have any sort of 
email practices that you use? You, you close your door more. What, what do you use? What do you do? Yeah, I think it's really easy to kind of fall into that role of the yes man, mm. you know, uh, especially as a, as a younger associate. You want to say yes to everything. Um, you get given an assignment. Yes, I'll get it done. When do you need it by? It'll be done, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if there's so much work and with the volume of work that there is at our firm, mm-hmm. um, you're, you're doing a disservice to the firm and to the clients if you're doing a subpar um, work product because right. you're booking in too much. So you really have to learn how to uh, set your boundaries and set your limits and take on what you can, you know you can handle, mm. okay? And and knowing what you can handle is not working till 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. to get it done, right? Um, I mean, litigation, there's the ebbs and flows. There's going to be times where you're working ridiculous hours if we're going to trial. But for the most part, you can you can book your time and do your work within you know reasonable hours. Right. Yeah, I mean... There's ebbs and flows, and there are certain times where you won't have control. For, for for the most part, in our job, there's nothing that needs to be done last minute. Exactly. Right? You shouldn't be working at 2 a.m. No. Unless you have a trial coming up, you should not be working at 2 a.m. Yeah. Right. So say, yeah, I will get that done, but I can get it done by this date. And if that's not going to work, then, you know, move things around. Okay, well, if this is an urgent thing, then these other things that I have may not be as much of a priority and I can push to the back burner, but you have to learn how to do that. Yeah. And so what do you mean by that? What have you learned and and how do you put that into practice? I use my assistant a lot. Um, Your assistant is your gatekeeper. Mm. So talk to your assistant about what you can handle. So for instance, you know, I went through a stage there where they were overbooking me discoveries, Oh yeah. you know, going on four discoveries a week. And I think it's just... Uh, ignorance on the part of support staff because right. they, they, they they've know. never been. Right. They don't realize that you have to prepare, okay? Mm-hmm. You have to do hours of prep in reviewing the file before going to discovery. Mm-hmm. And you attend the discovery, you prep the client. Right. Uh, then you have to do a, you know, a post-discovery a report. Yeah. It's not just attending, right? Mm-hmm. So I have told my assistant no more than two discoveries a week. Same. Right. That's what I've got going on. Right. And so you use your assistant with that. Um, in terms of priority, if there's an, a research assignment that you're doing for Jim or Brian that doesn't necessarily you know, need to be done at that moment, mm-hmm. then say, I send Jim and Brian emails like, well, I have this coming up. I'm doing this urgent research. So I might be a little late on this mediation memo or I might be a little late on, on this research assignment. Yeah. You know, Brian and Jim know that I'm not you know, making excuses. So when I can get something done, I get something done. So if, right. I, if I approach them and say, you know, I can't get this done by this date, they're, they're fine. They're good with it. Right. So you, you have to, you have to be your advocate. No one else is going to do it for you. Right. And I, and I think also just to provide a little context, um, you've always obviously established that goodwill and that reputation with Jim and, and, and Adam and Brian and all your other colleagues at the firm, because you've obviously, you know, put in the work and, and the hours beforehand. Of course. Yeah. You know. And so as a student, I guess I understand, uh, you know, the hesitancy to do that. Mm-hmm. But again, you, you don't want to give a subpar work product. That's just going to hurt your chances uh, for career advancement in the long run. So sure. you have to uh, only do what you can do and what's reasonable. And I think that all the lawyers at the firm here, we have a very open door policy. Yeah. Uh, we're very reasonable. We all know that work can pile up. Uh, and so we understand deadlines and volume of work. And I think most would be receptive to mm. to you approaching them about it. Yeah, and I've, do, I've been doing the exact same thing. When I feel like it's all starting to pile up and I have a bunch of things that are due on the same day or within a short time frame, I'll go to Adam and I'll say, here's what I've got coming up. 
I think that these ones are the most urgent and these ones I'm going to push to the back burner. And he's always is. Yep. That sounds good. good yeah, plan. exactly. Um, and then also your point about doing the best job as a student, particularly as a younger lawyer, no one is going to remember that you got something to them ahead of the deadline or on the deadline, but someone is going to read your work product later and they're going to say, this is a piece of crap. And this did not help me at all. And if you had taken the time to ask for an extension of a day or a week or a month and deliver a proper work product, that's going to be way more meaningful than something that gets done on time. Definitely. An excellent memo or an ex excellent factum. When that comes from a student, you know, it's surprising when mm -hmm. you see someone of such a uh, young vintage giving you an excellent work product. Right. That's what sticks in your, in yeah. your head. Yeah. And yeah. that's what makes you uh, make the recommendations for, to for, hire you know, back. Right. for hire yeah. back. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so I just, I kind of want to drill down on practically when you have a deadline and when you really want to get something done in a certain day, but you know, obviously your email is not going to stop and your phone is not going to stop. What do you do to block out all that other white noise or those other distractions? Sometimes I'm really good at it. Yeah. Other times I'm not so good at it. Right. Um, if your assistant is saying, oh, I have this client on the phone that we've been trying to get on the phone for the past two weeks. Like, uh, you're going to take that call. You have to. Mm -hmm. uh, but what's difficult and what, you know, sometimes they don't understand is when you're, you're you get in a zone, right, when you're writing like a mediation memo sure. and when you have to break that to have a have a client conversation, it, it just kind of derails you and, and to get going again. Mm -hmm. um, so. Usually what I do is I tell my assistant, she puts blocks in my calendar for, you know, drafting a certain memo or yeah. a certain research on a certain day. And I say, unless it's urgent, do not bother me. Right. Yeah. I close my door. Um, and, and she knows that. So if there's, if there's calls or anything coming in then she, she makes that call and right. I, tr I trust her in making that judgment call, but I do block actual time in my calendar for drafting. Right. That's a really good tip. And yeah. And so if someone were to come to your door and knock on it, would you just not answer? Or would you, or like, what would you do? <laughs> Go Leah, away, Leah, peasant. Leah no, always I, answers her no door. I, I know. And like your office is right next to mine. So yeah. I, I, I've never had that experience, but I mean, if you are truly in the zone, what would you do? I, I mean, no, I, I would never not yeah. answer a door like right. you, you can get back into it you it's yeah. you know yeah it derails you for a little bit but okay. you just go grab a coffee and you right. start back up okay. and actually i'm not i'm not a huge closed door person i actually have my door open mm -hmm. most of the time i would say maybe mm -hmm. you're looking at me like you disagree but... I, would, I, I think your door your door is closed just as much as my door is closed oh, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah right. i would say i'm i'm one of those uh types of people who gets distracted pretty easily, especially if it's like a walk-in. So um, I will keep my door closed for a big majority of the time, uh, especially like you said, if you are drafting a mediation memo, that one distraction can derail me for like 30 minutes to get back into it. Definitely. And it's, it is, it can be frustrating, especially when you're, you know, under the gun on different timelines and different uh, pressures. Yeah. And I, I, I find that when you do close your door, people don't really bother you all that much, For sure. especially the other lawyers, because I think sure. they know what a closed door it's, means. It's exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right. So now uh, let's talk about client management. So, um, you know, you kind of we've talked about your, your attire and your dress and the confidence that you carry yourself with. Um, how has your ability to manage your clients or connect with your clients changed over time? And, you know, what are some things that you think work to your advantage? And what are some things that you really feel like you have to explain or, or overcompensate for? I think um, 
as a younger lawyer, and I, I do like to fool myself to think that I still do look quite young. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're just you're just starting from a different position, right? Mm-hmm. So when, when Jim walks in the door, or Brian walks in the door, uh, they have that, and I hope they're not offended by this, but that gray hair effect, right? right? Um, people just automatically, they just bring they know. confidence yeah. and they just know that this is a senior person. Mm-hmm. So when you walk in as a young lawyer, or young female lawyer, young male lawyer, mm-hmm. um, you're just, it's a bit more of an uphill battle to, to prove that you are competent. Yeah. I find that once you start talking and you show that you know what you're what you're doing and you're asking the right questions and you're giving them the advice and they realize, oh, okay, this person is the expert in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, client management becomes quite easy. Um, I did have some issues early on in my career. I remember dealing with uh, one particular client who would not stop calling me sweetheart. Mm. A man or a woman? <laughs> a man. Mm. Uh, and it was not done in a cute old, like, like a grandfatherly, grandfatherly way. Yeah. way. Right. It was done in a very, um, condescending way. Right. Um, and in that instance, uh, Brian actually was present one of the times that he called me sweetheart and, and right. reprimanded the client. Mm. So don't call her sweetheart. She's your lawyer. Yeah. Call her Leanne or, um, and that's it. Uh, so there is that, but for the most part, I think clients do, uh, especially in personal injury, mm-hmm. right? Because they're they're completely at a loss most of the times. Right. Mm-hmm. They've been involved in an accident. They have no concept of the area of law. So to you, you're just the savior, right? right. It's kind of like that hero complex thing. You're, right. you're coming in and, and saving them from the piles of paperwork that they don't Absolutely. know how to how to navigate. Right. So, uh, you know, it, it, that, that rapport does develop. Right. You just have to show them that you're confident in, and know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I mean, I still definitely experienced that the other day, a client called and he wanted, we were just chatting and then we talked about his discovery coming up and I indicated I was going to be at the discovery and he goes, I thought Jim was going to be there. And so I, you know, I reassured him and, you know, Jim really doesn't do that many discoveries only where there's something complex or unusual. Will Jim step in? And then I emailed Jim and just kind of let him know. And Jim said, you know what, maybe I'll do this discovery. And I'm not offended by it. I totally understand that some clients, um, want the most senior person to be working on their file. Um, and you know, if, if he wants Jim, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. And I get it. Like Jim has more gray hair than I do. So that is what it is. Again, I think, you know, youth for a lawyer, like I've said before, it's just a rite of passage you have to go through. Uh, but you learn as you go and you become much more confident. And the more confident you do, the more clients are going to be confident right. in you as well. There's going to be the odd client that wants Jim or Brian there at the discovery. But for the most part, I think that when you walk into a situation, Harrison, the client is going to um, be confident with you as their yeah, advocate absolutely. because you know what you're doing and, sure. you, and you you display that, right? It's all about swagger. Yeah. <laughs> it's all about your, your approach. Well, on that note, though, have either of you experienced it the other way where your maybe youth has been an advantage for younger clients who feel like they will connect with you better because you kind of understand what they may be going through? Mm, I like that. Or, yeah, um, people who are right around, you know, university and you can say, oh, I remember in university what it was like taking those exams. It was stressful. I've had younger clients, I think, They've been more, you know, drawn to me just because of that age. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then obviously the other way, older clients who would want, you know, Troy or Rob or Roger 
uh, taking those discoveries. Yeah, that's a good point. I I often find too, sometimes, you know, I'm the main contact for a client. uh, So they, I develop a really good rapport with that client. So when Jim and Brian come on at some point, like, you know, for a mediation, Mm -hmm. they're, they're almost intimidated by the, 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 you know, the partner. And, uh, and so they see you as their, their kind of their comfort zone. Right. Right. Uh, So yeah, no, that's, that's definitely a good Mm -hmm. point. But on on that note, um, obviously when clients, um, you know, uh, are being represented, um, by our firm and we're very good with this in terms of communicating with our clients and getting back to them. But how do you deal with that pressure of always having your email or your phone next to you and getting that, you know, it could be a text, it could be an email or a missed call voicemail. How do you manage those expectations? Like, are you setting the tone that you're going to be available 24 seven for your clients or what's the message you want them to, to hear? It's very client dependent, I would say. Um, there's certain clients that are a bit, um, need a little more handholding than others. Right. Um, but no, for the most part, I think that if I respond to a client within, you know, a day or two, I think that's, that's an appropriate response time. Yeah. Yeah. I, you I know. always try to do within like 24 hours. Right. Even if it's just, Hey, got your email. I'll get back to you like with a real answer soon, but just let them know that I've received their email and that I'm, I'm on it. Mm. I feel like is, is a huge plus for client management. Yeah, exactly. And if you receive an email that on a Saturday that isn't an urgent email, right. you can wait till Monday. If it's something that's a bit, you can tell your clients in a panic, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't happen too often. You might want to respond to them. I would respond to them on weekends yeah, if, right. if they feel, if I feel like they're in a panic about a certain situation. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, sorry, I do want to jump in. You talked about, Charles, the um, dealing with, you know, your phone is always next to you kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And there's a great feature that I've been using on my phone. And I have an iPhone. I don't know if smart, if other smartphones have this feature, I'm sure that they do, but you can set it so that when you hit, I I triple click the lock button and it turns on grayscale. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, it just like, that way my phone is not a distraction to me. So when I get to work, I triple click it, it goes on grayscale. And then when I go on to, if I go to instinctively open up Twitter or Instagram or whatever app that it is that I'm distracted with, it's a, it's a visual reminder that I am not supposed to be on my phone right now. And it forces me to be more focused with my time. And it's a really great tool that I've been using. And I find that my, my phone usage and distractions has gone way down. So I'm just focused on whatever's in front of me, my email, my Microsoft Word, Mm -hmm. my Prime Effect, whatever it is. I've got it on the screen. So That's I just wanted to jump in there and share that with everyone. Do you, do you guys keep your outlook like open? I know some lawyers like to just completely close their emails when they're doing like, uh, you know, mediation memos or motion records or claims. Do you guys keep your outlook open? So like you're constantly seeing what emails come in or how do you guys manage that? Because obviously we get dozens, yeah. if not sometimes. Like you know, hundreds. Yeah. Emails, emails a day. day. Yeah. I, I do keep mine open. I, mm-hmm. I think I'm just too... Uh, nosy. I just can't like, I just need to know what's going to coming, coming yeah. in. So I do keep it open, but I, I do close it, like minimize it down and focus on something for a while. Right. Um, I do try to keep my, I, and I know this can be difficult, especially with the volume of emails, um, that come our way, but I do by the end of the day, try to empty out my email inbox. Right. Um, it doesn't always happen that way, but, mm-hmm. um, I do try to at least do something with it, right? Mm-hmm. When you get an email, do something with it, right. whether it be respond or archive or uh, reminder or to do, yeah. um, oftentimes I'll just send it to my assistant, Jessica and say BF two mm-hmm. weeks, you know, follow up with me in two weeks. Right. Cause sometimes if you just let it go down, it disappears, it disappears yeah. and it falls off the radar. And then, um, 
you know, it comes back and you're like, oh God, right. <laughs> I completely forgot right. about yeah. that particular task. Uh, yeah, I do. I do close my email, not typically in the morning. Um, I find that in the morning is when you're getting a lot of emails of stuff that is going to require attention that day. So mm-hmm. I like to know what's going on so that I can kind of keep monitoring of it. But if it's getting later in the day and I'm really trying to get a settlement proposal done or a mediation memo done, um, and I just want to stay focused and I know that nothing at that point is going to come through from an assistant or clerk or from Adam or Jim or whatever, right. I'll close my email and I, and then I've got no distractions. And I do think that that's a good concerted use of my time. And then I'll open it before I go. And I will definitely try to pare my email inbox down to a, a reasonable number so that I am not like overwhelmed by my email the next day. Oh, mm-hmm. definitely. That's a good tip. You know, in a day, like you go out to discovery, yeah, <laughs> you yeah, come yeah. back to that email like inbox. Like a hundred unread yeah. emails. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. What do you do with your email, Charles? Um, I'm more on Leanne's side. I, I tend to keep it open, um, especially. I can't help it when you see that little mail icon that comes up on Outlook. I just gotta press it and go through the email. So like, I'll try. You know, I'll stay off of it for an hour or so, but like no more than that. I'll I'll keep checking it because I don't like to see the bold black of unread emails just piling up. Just kind of gives yeah. me anxiety. Yeah, you're the you're the same as me. Yeah. I mean, best practices, Harrison. That's the best way to be. But yeah, I just don't think I have the willpower it's for really it. Too hard. Yeah, same. Here. Yeah. So, Leanne, you've been really generous with your time, and thanks. We've covered a lot of great ground here. I want to get you out of here on a few different things. First, I'd like to talk to you about um, some different things that you have going on in the firm, some new initiatives that are going on. And then Charles and I are going to hit you with a, a bit of a rapid-fire rapid question. Yeah. Ooh, pressure. Yeah, <laughs> there is big-time pressure. So um, I understand you and some of the other associates are working on a, a blog or something about for new parents? Yes, uh, me and some of the other associates who are uh, parents uh, are doing a, a question and answer type blog uh, addressing just common concerns that uh, people who work in the field of law have with you also... A, you should do a video blog. Oh, yeah, we should. Right, you should, yeah. You should film it while your kids are having a temper tantrum and show oh exactly my God. how challenging Become it is. Become influencers. Yeah. Well, influence people not to have children. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that would be um, fun. Yeah, sorry, I cut you off. No, there. that's fine. Yeah. But uh, no, it should be coming out in 2020. Okay. And if anyone has any questions about, you know, balancing law with parenting, then mm-hmm. shoot them my way and we'll, we'll certainly add them to the blog. And that's by get in touch with you by email, Twitter, anything. Yeah. Email. Yeah. I don't okay. have Twitter. All right. Perfect. I'm not a tweeter. All right. <laughs> well then let us talk about some rapid fire questions. Okay. Do it. All right. Uh, Charles, you got any? Okay. Favorite book that you've read recently. Handmaid's Tale. Oh, that's a good, t- uh, is that a TV show as well or no? Yeah. It is a TV show. Yeah. Yeah. I think it won a bunch yeah. of Emmys. I've never seen it or yeah. read the book. Oh, it's yeah. so good. Yeah. So, so good. It's yeah. kind of like I a dystopic recommend. thing, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the book, the book is amazing, but mm. the show takes the concept from the book and puts it into modern day times. Interesting. Um, and says, you know, it's, a, it's actually the United States that goes into this dystopian type of oh. um political regime anyway it's it's very oh, very good i would definitely check that out mm-hmm. um all right uh, music favorite artist favorite uh have you been to any concerts recently i know that you have <laughs> <laughs> yes i went and saw celine Dion. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> you can't say that without a french accent <laughs> yeah no for sure <laughs> yeah, no, um, is she your great. favorite she's not my favorite no i'm actually a country music fan oh. so i uh, hearts yeah, I've been to Boots and Hearts. Yeah. I have, yeah. So Miranda Lambert, okay. uh, Blake Shelton, okay, uh, all of those I love. Perfect. I love country music. Uh, if aside from this podcast, what other podcasts are your favorites? 
I listened to the Amy Schumer, uh, Three Girls, One Keith. And I, mm. there's also a, a podcast from an Australian comedian called The Guilty Feminist. It's really okay. great. And um, yeah, there's this other one about serial killers called No Killa, No Filla. <laughs> that, is a, that is a catchy name. That's a very good name. Yeah, it's, it's really We'll have to speak to uh, Connor, our marketing person, about uh, changing the name of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, next uh, travel destination on the list. I'm going to Nashville. Do you have tickets to the Bluebird Cafe? No. We you just, should get them. I've heard that it's amazing. It's unbelievable. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Now, is it at a strip mall or? It's in like a plaza. Yeah, it's not in the downtown area. Mm-hmm. Um, and they go on sale like the Monday before. You have to log on. They, they The tickets get released at like 8 a.m. on Monday and you have to log in and they do an early show and a late show. Hmm. Um, but we saw some like, and I'm not a huge country music fan, but like, it was so cool. Cause you're literally seeing the top names in country music who have not like, they're not the stage performers, but they've written the songs that then get passed along to the Taylor Swift's or the Blake Shelton's or whoever it is, right. but they are unbelievably talented musicians in their own right. You would love it. It's a really cool atmosphere. Yeah, I'll definitely check that out. Yeah. I'm really excited. I've never been to Nashville. So nice. Is it a girls trip or with Dustin and the kids? With, with Dusty. Oh, that'll be good. <laughs> that'll <laughs> be. It's going to be our first trip away since like solo since oh, having the kids. So look out Nashville. Yeah. We are very excited. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Um, okay. Favorite food? Sushi. Wow. Yeah, Any good sushi, sushi spots here in Barrie that uh, you'd recommend? We we used to always go to Akira, but uh, there's... Quality has gone downhill. Oh, really? It's gone so bad. Yeah. Yeah, I, this I, podcast I, is not sponsored by Akira. Clearly <laughs> <laughs> not. Our uh, marketing guy in the background is just shaking yeah. his head. <laughs> yeah, it's well, the Canna House right around the, yeah, that's the corner. Oh, is really good. That yeah. plaza, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. yeah, so last question from Charles will be... Leanne, what is your favorite lawyer movie? A few good men. Oh, classic. Good one. So good. Yeah. Good one. All right. Well, thanks very much for spending the time with us and uh, speak to you soon. Thank you. Thanks, Leanne. Thanks very much uh, for listening. That was Leanne. Um, and she provided some really uh, insightful advice um, that I certainly will uh, take to heart. So thanks very much for listening. Uh, We're your co-hosts, Harrison and Charles, signing off.